Chapter 14, Part 4 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Title by Descent. Part 4. The remaining rules are only rules of evidence calculated to investigate who that purchasing ancestor was, which, in feudus ver antiquus, has in process of time been forgotten, and is supposed so to be in feuds that are held ut antiquus. 6. A sixth rule or canon, therefore, is that the collateral heir of the person last seized must be his next collateral kinsman of the whole blood. First, he must be his next collateral kinsman, either personally or jure representationis, which proximity is reckoned according to the canonical degrees of consanguinity before mentioned. Therefore, the brother being in the first degree, he and his descendants shall exclude the uncle and his issue, who is only in the second. And herein consists the true reason of the different methods of computing the degrees of consanguinity in the civil law on the one hand, and in the canon and common laws on the other. The civil law regards consanguinity principally with respect to successions, and therein very naturally considers only the person deceased to whom the relation is claimed. It therefore counts the degrees of kindred according to the number of persons through whom the claim must be derived from him, and make not only his great-nephew, but also his first cousin, to be both related to him in the fourth degree, because there are three persons between him and each of them. The canon law regards consanguinity principally with a view to prevent incestuous marriages between those who have a large portion of the same blood running in their respective veins, and therefore looks up to the author of that blood, or the common ancestor, reckoning the degrees from him, so that the great-nephew is related in the third canonical degree to the person proposed and the first cousin in the second, the former being distant three degrees from the common ancestor, and therefore deriving only one-fourth of his blood from the same fountain with the propositus, the latter, and also the propositus, being each of them distant only two degrees from the common ancestor, and therefore having one-half of each of their bloods the same. The common law regards consanguinity principally with respect to descents and having therein the same object in view as the civil, it may seem as if it ought to proceed according to the civil computation. But it also respects the purchasing ancestor from whom the estate was derived. It therein resembles the canon law, and therefore counts its degrees in the same manner. Indeed, the designation of person, in seeking for the next of kin, will come to exactly the same end, though the degrees will be differently numbered. Whichever method the computation we suppose the law of England to use, since the right of representation, 
of the Father, by the Son, etc., is allowed to prevail in infinitum. This allowance was absolutely necessary, else there would have frequently been many claimants in exactly the same degree of kindred as, for instance, uncles and nephews of the deceased, which multiplicity, though no inconvenience in the Roman law of partible inheritances, yet would have been productive of endless confusion where the right of sole succession, as with us, is established. The issue or descendants, therefore, of John Stiles's brother are all of them in the first degree of kindred with respect to inheritances, as their father also, when living, was, those of his uncle in the second, and so on, and are severally called to the succession in right of such their representative proximity. The right of representation being thus established, the former part of the present rule amounts to this that on failure of issue of the person last seized, the inheritance shall descend to the issue of his next immediate ancestor. Thus, if John Stiles dies without issue, his estate shall descend to Francis, his brother, who is lineally descended from Geoffrey Stiles, his next immediate ancestor or father. On failure of brethren or sisters and their issue, it shall descend to the uncle of John Stiles, the lineal descendant of his grandfather George, and so on, in infinitum. Very similar to which was the law of inheritance among the ancient Germans, our progenitors. Aeres ad successoresque, sequique lubiri en nullum testamentum, si liberi non sunt, proximos grados in possessioni, fratres, Patrui avunculi. Now here it must be observed that the lineal ancestors, though, according to the first rule, incapable themselves of succeeding to the estate because it is supposed to have already passed them, are yet the common stocks from which the next successor must spring. And therefore, in the Jewish law, which in this respect entirely corresponds with ours, the father or other lineal ancestor is himself said to be the heir, though long since dead, as being represented by the persons of his issue, who are held to succeed not in their own rights as brethren, uncles, etc., but in right of representation as the sons of the father, grandfather, etc., of the deceased. But, though the common ancestor be thus the root of the inheritance, Yet with us, it is not necessary to name him in making out the pedigree or descent. For the descent between two brothers is held to be an immediate descent, and therefore title may be by one brother or his representatives to or through another, without mentioning their common father. If Geoffrey Stiles hath two sons, John and Francis, Francis may claim as heir to John without naming their father, Geoffrey, and to the son of Francis may claim as cousin and heir to Matthew, the son of John, without naming the grandfather, viz. as son of Francis, who was the brother of John, who was the father of Matthew. But though the common ancestors are not named in deducing the pedigree, yet the law still respects them as the fountains of inheritable blood. And therefore, 
In order to ascertain the collateral heir of John Stiles, it is in the first place necessary to recur to his ancestors in the first degree. And if they have left any other issue besides John, that issue will be his heir. On default of such, we must ascend one step higher to the ancestors in the second degree, and then to those in the third and fourth and so upwards in infinitum till some ancestors be found who have other issue descending from them besides the deceased in a parallel or collateral line. From these ancestors, the heir of John Stiles must derive his descent, and in such derivation, the same rules must be observed with regard to sex, primogeniture, and representation that have just been laid down with regard to lineal descents from the person of the last proprietor. But secondly, the heir need not be the nearest kinsman absolutely, but only submodo, that is, he must be the nearest kinsman of the whole blood. For, if there be a much nearer kinsman of the half-blood, a distant kinsman of the whole blood shall be admitted, and the other entirely excluded. A kinsman of the whole blood is he that is derived not only from the same ancestor, but from the same couple of ancestors. For as every man's own blood is compounded with the bloods of his respective ancestors, he only is properly of the whole or entire blood with another, who hath, so far as the distance of degrees will permit, all the same ingredients in the composition of his blood that the other hath. Thus, the blood of John Stiles, being composed of those of Geoffrey Stiles his father, and Lucy Baker his mother, therefore his brother Francis, being descended from both the same parents, hath entirely the same blood with John Stiles, or he is his brother of the whole blood. But if, after the death of Geoffrey, Lucy Baker, the mother, marries a second husband, Louis Gay, and hath issue by him, the blood of this issue, being compounded of the blood of Lucy Baker, it is true, on the one part, but of that of Louis Gay, instead of Geoffrey Stiles, on the other part, it hath therefore only half the same ingredients with that of John Stiles, so that he is only his brother of the half-blood, and for that reason they shall never inherit to each other. So also, if the father has two sons, A and B, by different venters or wives, now these brethren are not brethren of the whole blood, and therefore shall never inherit to each other, but the estate shall rather eschet to the Lord. Nay, even if the father dies, and his lands descend to his eldest son A, who enters thereon, and dies seized without issue, still B shall not be heir to this estate, because he is only of the half-blood to A, the person last seized. But had A died without entry, then B might have inherited, not as heir to A, his half-brother, but as heir to their common father, who was the person last actually seized. This total exclusion of the half-blood from the inheritance, being almost peculiar to our own law, is looked upon as a strange hardship by such as are unacquainted with the reasons on which it is grounded. But these censures arise from a misapprehension of the rule, which is not so much to be considered in the light of a rule of descent 
as a rule of evidence, an auxiliary rule to carry the former into execution. And here we must again remember that the great and most universal principle of collateral inheritances being this, that an heir to a feudum antiquum must be of the blood of the first feudatory or purchaser, that is, derived in a lineal descent from him. It was originally requisite, as upon gifts in tale it still is, to make out the pedigree of the heir from the first donee or purchaser, and to show that such heir was his lineal representative. But when, by length of time and a long course of descents, it came, in those rude and unlettered ages, to be forgotten who was really the first feudatory or purchaser, and thereby the proof of an actual descent from him became impossible, then the law substituted what Sir Martin Wright calls a reasonable in the stead of an impossible proof, for it remits the proof of an actual descent from the first purchaser, and only requires, in lieu of it, that the claimant be next of the whole blood to the person last in possession, or derived from the same couple of ancestors which will probably answer to the same end as if he could trace his pedigree in direct line from the first purchaser. For he who is my kinsman of the whole blood can have no ancestors beyond or higher than the common stock, but what are equally my ancestors also, and mine are vice versa his. He therefore is very likely to be derived from that unknown ancestor of mine, from whom the inheritance descended. But a kinsman of the half-blood has but one half of his ancestors above the common stock the same as mine, and therefore there is not the same probability of that standing requisite in the law that he be derived from the blood of the first purchaser. To illustrate this by example, let there be John Stiles and Francis, brothers by the same father and mother, and another son of the same mother by Louis Gay, a second husband. Now, if John dies seized of lands, but it is uncertain whether they descended to him from his father or mother, in this case his brother Francis, of the whole blood, is qualified to be his heir, for he is sure to be in the line of descent from the first purchaser, whether it were the line of the father or the mother. But if Francis should die before John without issue, the mother's son by Louis Gay, or brother of the half-blood, is utterly incapable of being heir, for he cannot prove his descent from the first purchaser who is unknown, nor has he that fair probability which the law admits as presumptive evidence, since he is to the full as likely not to be descended from the line of the first purchaser as to be descended, and therefore the inheritance shall go to the nearest relation possessed of this presumptive proof, the whole blood. And, as this is the case in Feudus Antiquus, where there really did once exist a purchasing ancestor who is forgotten, it is also the case in Feudus Novus, held Ut Antiquus, where the purchasing ancestor is merely ideal and never existed, but only in fiction of law. Of this nature are all grants of lands in fee simple at this day, 
which are inheritable as if they descended from some uncertain indefinite ancestor, and therefore any of the collateral kindred of the real modern purchaser, and not his own offspring only, may inherit them, provided they be of whole blood. For all such are, in judgment of law, likely enough to be derived from this indefinite ancestor. But those of the half-blood are excluded for want of the same probability. Nor should this be thought hard, that a brother of the purchaser, though only of the half-blood, must thus be disinherited, and a more remote relation of the whole blood admitted, merely upon a supposition and fiction of law, since it is only upon like supposition and fiction that the brethren of purchasers, whether of the whole or half-blood, are entitled to inherit at all. For we have seen that in Feodes Dricte Novus neither brethren nor any other collaterals were admitted. As therefore, in Feodes Antiquus, we have seen the reasonableness of excluding the half-blood, if by a fiction of law, a feudum novum be made descendable to collaterals as if it were feudum antiquum, it is just and equitable that it should be subject to the same restrictions as well as the same latitude of descent. End of chapter 14, part 4.